There has been an actual tragedy in the Las Vegas comedy community. Everything bothers him. He's unbothered. He calls it unbothered, but that's what's cute because everything bothers him. He's bothered. I'm a bothering. I'm a bothering. What's up, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Unbothered by Ty Rivera. That's right, it's Unbothered by Ty Rivera. I'm Ty Rivera, the absolute best LGBTQ comedian. In the world, Snoopy Bijou is currently having a Whimsy's Alligator. She decided to have a Whimsy's Alligator. And like I always say, it's on her. If she wants one, I'll give it to her. If she doesn't, I'm not going to force it. But she did decide to have a Whimsy's Alligator. The other thing you guys need to know is Carla's homemade salsa is back in business. So um, right now they're not making the green. I don't know why other than maybe they hate me. Just playing. I heard from Carla when she told me she was going to start making the salsa again. Uh, I don't know why the green isn't being made right now. But right now the red is available. So if you guys get a chance, check out Carla's homemade salsa down below in the description box. Stop playing with me and stop playing yourselves. Because even the red is amazing, and I'm going to have some red, I'm sure. But I prefer the green usually. But that's not an option right now. So let's not be lazy, fat Americans and get mad at people because they're not making exactly what we want right now. The red is great. I'm going to have the red. You'll have the red too, and you'll shut up now down below. Anyway... Here's the deal, you guys. There has been a tragedy on the Las Vegas comedy scene. And when I say there has been a tragedy on the Las Vegas comedy scene, I don't mean me wearing this Hanes brand crew neck plain white T-shirt. I mean an actual tragedy. A comedian by the name of Cameron Ramirez uh, got hit in a hit and run last night early this morning. And he's dead now. So, uh... And I'm going to go in and out of being serious and fun. And so I hope you guys will bear with me. I drove around way more than I should have tonight just because I was really trying to avoid doing this episode only because we're going to run through kind of a lot of things. And at the same time, like it was the death of Cameron Ramirez and Cameron Ramirez himself, as far as I knew him, that inspired this whole thought because I'll put another video out that was from when I was in Reno. I didn't put one out last week because editing and stuff like that. And I was traveling and I really just didn't feel it. And I feel like everything happens on its time and on God's time. And I didn't feel like that was the time for me to put it out. But now I feel like I should put this one out first and then follow up. And if they all get less views because you know, if I put too many out, people will think like I don't have time to watch them. Then people just don't watch it. The people that need to watch them will watch them. And outside of that, I'm fine with whoever doesn't. Um, but I want to be able to tell this and tell why sometimes I honor people and sometimes I don't and let you guys know where I'm at with that. I've said before that I don't have the biggest problem in the world with death. That's not an insensitivity thing. I just at an early age accepted that as a part of life. So a lot of people can come and go and I won't be affected by all of them. I will respect that it's a tragedy for their families and their friends. Like that's 100% something that I do get. And so sometimes I'll refrain from something that may not in my mind be nasty but may come off as nasty or insensitive if I were to say it publicly like I'll give you guys an example there was a comedian that died not too long ago and I personally I didn't dislike that comedian and I certainly didn't think he deserved to die or anything that serious I just really felt like 
He was a person that really wasn't open to taking in anybody else's opinion or any other way of looking at things. And to me, some of those people, whatever age they be, will end up being like obsolete software. You know, like if you can't take anything new in and you just have one way of seeing, eventually evolution is going to take you out of the mix just because you don't go with everything else that's happening around you. That may eventually happen to me one day or people may feel that way when I go. And that's something that, you know, I would ask my family and friends not to argue because really if that's what some people feel, who knows, they could be right. You know, there could be a point where my type of thinking is outdated and I just need to go. And if God makes that decision, then that's, you know, it's I'm not talking about murder or anything. I'm talking about God making the decision or the universe or nature or however you want to put it. There's definitely something bigger than us that one day will take us or that grants us life. In my opinion, there has to be something. Some people are purely scientific, which I don't remember if that's agnostic or not or what agnostic, I don't remember. But you know what I'm saying. You know, for all I know, it's Scientology. Well, you know, if they ask you to clean their floors, it's Scientology. If they ask you to do a bunch of work for free, it's Scientology. If they ask you to donate a bunch of money, it's Catholicism. Just plant, it could be Scientology. It could be any of them, really. Tithing. Everybody asks for too much money. But anyway, here's my point. Cameron Ramirez made an impression on me, and I really didn't know him that well. So I'm not going to portray it like we're besties. You know, like he looked up to me. I was like a mentor to him. No, none of that. We weren't on the phone every day. None of it. I barely knew the guy, but I knew enough of him to know that he was a good person. And the way I found that out was the first time I ever met him, like remember meeting him. I'd seen him on flyers and stuff like that because, you know, he would go up around town. He was more open mic level and I'm not putting him down. He was very honest about where he was in stand up. So anything I say as far as that goes, I'm sure if he were to watch, because, you know, he had watched an episode or two or unbothered, of Unbothered. Um, but, and I know that because, you know, like that much he had exposed to me uh, during our time talking. But I think that, you know, he would understand why it is I'm saying things the way that I say them, because I really am just trying to paint an accurate picture. So what happened was I hadn't met Cameron and he was at the Artisan, and it was a day when me and Claire Holly were being bathing beauties. And so we were swimming together, whatever, whatever. I had just done, or I was going to do Thunderbird, and he stopped me and was like, and keep in mind, I really hadn't met him before, but he stopped me and said that if I ever needed a comedian uh, for the Thunderbird, that he's funny and whatever else, which I'm keeping it real, I got annoyed with. Because in my head, I was like, you think I'm afraid to approach you if I like what you do? But I didn't know what he did. I didn't. I had never seen him. So to me, I was kind of insulted by that. And I can admit that some people might think that's elitist or petty in some way. I'll accept that if that's what you think. But that's legitimately what I felt when he shook my hand and stuff. But he seemed sincere in the handshake. And later on, I forgave it in my head because not not acting like it was something to forgive. But you know what I mean? Like I dismissed my feelings of being annoyed because... I realized later on that he was new and like a lot of times you think it's like any other job, you know, like if you want to get work, let people know you're available for work, which is true to a certain degree and I wouldn't caution people against. But just with me, I usually know what I like just from seeing it and I'll ask somebody on my own. But he had no way of knowing this. He was new. He didn't really know me. He was pleasant enough, like I said, in the way that he like approached me. Um, if anybody wants to chime in and tell me that he wasn't new, 
uh, like that's the impression I got. And I think that's what he told. No, that is what he told me because it comes up later in the story. Okay. So what happened was met him the first time, kind of grossed out being me. And but I was nice about it. You know, outwardly, I just looked like, yeah, thank you. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. You know, it was very much that. So then we get to a couple of weeks back when that particular person, because the names don't matter in stories like this at this point, because there will be names later. But um, it, it, that's when that particular person started making these videos about me where he was using homophobic slurs. He was acting as a representative to a particular hotel. Um, if you guys want, you guys can search the history and you guys will see there's like things that let you know who I'm talking about. So I'm not just trying to be like secretive or cagey, but just like I said, the names don't matter at this point for that particular part of the story. What matters is Cameron came up to me and he was like, I just want you to, or well, first I was watching Carlos Anthony's show over at the, uh, the stratosphere at LA comedy club. And it was a midnight show. And so I was watching and Cameron walks up to me and says that he wants to talk to me, that he just wanted to tell me something. And I was like, okay, cool. But the show was about to start. And I was like, show's about to start and I want to see it. So, and he was very cool about it. And I wasn't bitchy at all in that, you know, like I didn't feel even inside. I didn't feel anything like that. I just wanted to really respect the show since I was being an audience member and the show was right about to start, you know, and I feel like me being a comic that's been around for a while, I bought an actual ticket to that show. And I feel like at that point, it's my responsibility to kind of set an example for some of the newer comics because sometimes comics will start chatting in the back and make it harder for the show even though they're there to support. And so I felt like that was part of my job in that situation as well. So I just asked Cameron if we could talk afterwards. So then, you know, like a f quite a few minutes later, like maybe an hour into the show or whatever, I guess he had to go or something. And he was like, he was like, hey, I know you don't want me to bother you. You're trying to watch the show and stuff. But I just wanted to say that I really don't support the stuff that that person said on their video. I really don't support that. And nobody should talk to anybody like that. And I am not down with that. And I will not be supporting that person anymore. So I was like in my head because that was I referenced it on another video or on the other video where I talked about somebody came up to me and told me that kind of stuff. And and in my head, I got like, okay, what is it that's being said that I'm supposed to be so concerned with? And that sounds like a serious thing to say. It sounds like it's in response to something serious being said about me. And um, so that's when I checked it out. And in my head, like with that particular situation, because what people don't understand is they think I got like triggered or upset by the word fag or, you know, like some of the slurs that were used. And yeah, that's annoying or whatever. And it's a cheap way of communicating but I wasn't upset about that because I used those words myself that wasn't the part for me that really needed to be paid attention to and as I've said before as well it was only when a couple of friends expressed a sentiment where they were like yeah that's pretty serious what's being said on that video that I really was like it sounds kind of like hate crime you know it really does sound like I'm being threatened with the hate crime. And if you heard, one of the things that they said on that video was that they were going to hang me from Maryland Parkway. And trust me, all of this is central to the story I'm talking about now. I'm not just rehashing it to throw somebody under the bus because if I was doing that, I would say the name and try to make it a thing. This isn't about that. This is me getting to where I'm going. So once I heard that in my head, I was like, Matthew Shepard is what I thought about, which if you're not familiar with the Matthew Shepard 
uh, tragedy. He was a person that died in a very tragic hate crime incident where they did hang him from a barbed wire fence or strung him up on it. And so that was in my head. And then later on, another one of my friends who's also a gay comedian had expressed the same thing. He was like, yeah, I ended up seeing that video. I don't usually watch the stuff you post because, you know, it's like sometimes gossip stuff, which it is. So I wasn't going to get mad at my friend for that. He was like, but that one I felt like I had to watch because people were having such a serious reaction to it. And he was like, it gave me like Matthew Shepard vibes. And I was like, yeah, that's what I thought, you know. And so it confirmed that. And then, you know, a friend of mine who's a police officer had also said, like, you know, this is not the way people should be talking and you should make sure to file a report and make sure that you actually do something about this to protect yourself. So not only did I do it to protect myself because I don't want to have to be watching my back and if that can lower the instances of that happening, then that's what I'm going to do. But also because... Like, as gay people, we really shouldn't be talked to or about like that. Like, you can be mad at us like anybody else. But at the same time, threatening an actual hate crime is something different. And threatening more than one hate crime is something different. And so, in my head, I was thankful to Cameron for bringing that to my attention because otherwise I hadn't watched even though it had been sent to me in direct message by the person who recorded it. But I, f I felt like there was some sort of urgency in his voice or seriousness that I should pay attention to. So that's one thing that I respected about Cameron Ramirez and my limited interactions with him. So then we get to another point where I actually record the podcast about that person and that kind of stuff. And I talked on that podcast about how a friend of mine that's also a booker had said that um, they were paying that that particular guy that made the hate crime threat towards me was offering to pay comics more money than they should have been paid and not paying them. And in some cases, offering comics money that shouldn't even be paid too much money. So that's something I repeated on my that episode of my podcast. So I never thought I just thought that was a funny thing to say. You know, I never really thought it any further than it being kind of funny and catty and true at the same time that, you know, like people should still get paid, that kind of thing. But I didn't pay too much attention to that. So later on, I saw Cameron Ramirez and uh, Cameron Ramirez had said to me specifically, he was like, I was one of those comics that shouldn't even be getting paid because of how long I've been doing this. But I, you know, was promised money and I had to actually confront that person to get my money because even though maybe I shouldn't get paid, my thing was you offered to pay me and so you got to pay me. And so that's something I really that really resonated with me because I hadn't thought about that side of it like, you know, that deeply before and then I in my head was like it kind of made the point of why it is I did that because yeah I wasn't thinking of the comics on that level necessarily that were just just starting out I was thinking of some of the guys that you know have been doing it for a while and maybe they were getting offered a little bit more money than they should be offered but then at the same time yeah they should get paid and I hadn't thought of the price or you know the fact that maybe some would say that they don't deserve to get paid. Some would say I don't deserve to get paid, which that group of the sum are clearly out of their mind. Of course, I deserve to get paid. Neither here nor there, though. But it is what it is. I do. But you know what I mean? And so I hadn't thought about that side. But then I was or that level. But then at the same time, I was like, yeah, this is why I called out the not paying people. It really was because 
not only should people not have to fight you because you don't want to pay them what you promised to pay them, but some of these people have far less of a voice than I do. And so even if I have to take a couple hits from people as far as my reputation or people being mad at me, if I'm standing up for people that maybe other people don't consider to have any value at all, I mean, like, it's bad enough I've done a lot of stuff. And I have people that don't consider my word to have any value at all, which I don't know why people have decided that. But that's something that's happened on this particular scene, you know, here in Las Vegas. So and I know that that's happened to other people. Like, for example, Randall Thompson was one of the people that didn't get paid. Well, because some people don't like Randall Thompson or some of his opinions or some of the things that he said, people weren't necessarily standing up for him and being like, hey, Randall deserves to get his money. You know, people were acting like, you know, well, that's just bullshit between that person and Randall, which it's not. And especially since there were plenty of other people that weren't getting paid either. And so I felt like Cameron really reminded me when he said that particular statement that Really, that should be a statement that I think of all levels on. Like anybody that's told they're going to be paid should get paid. So in, in your mind and in these interactions, I think sometimes we stash these things and don't really think anything of them or think of the fact that those did actually, those statements did actually trigger something in me that made me sort of like, okay, well, I understand like how that person was even if they didn't realize it, alerting me to a couple of things that I definitely should have been aware of and should in some way act on however I can, you know? And so, like I said, you, you forget about these things. You don't really think of them as, like, important. So then something like what happens last night happens, which, or this morning, I don't remember. I read the article, but you guys know me and reading and retention, and I've been over that. So, you know, it's not all of it stays. So anyway, I read it and long story short, Cameron got hit in a hit and run uh, here in Vegas around two in the morning uh, and he ended up dying. And so um, I didn't know this had happened. You know, I didn't find out till later in the day, which I don't know when everybody else found out, but I didn't know that. So I saw a picture of Cameron on Facebook when I was scrolling and I didn't think anything of it. I thought he either had just been at one of the open mics or maybe he was, you know, on a show or who knows. And so I wasn't thinking anything like that when I saw that first picture of him. But the first picture I saw of him was him like, you know, standing up very straight and holding the mic and almost back like arched, you know, which is like uh, to give you a little bit of history, I know that Cameron had gotten over some serious addiction issues and he was very open about that. And this isn't me airing out dirty laundry or trying to shit on the dead in any way. This is me actually showing like the way I think about things and like even the respect that I have for certain people's journeys, you know, um, it was uh, and it was a stance when I saw that first picture that in my head I was like the old perp stance and I because, you know, I didn't know you died or anything. You know, I didn't know any context. I was just like the old perp stance because I've hung out with a few addicts. And for some reason, people that have been through a lot men specifically um, that I've met that have been through a lot, you know, like be it jail problems from addiction or just addiction itself and getting over addiction. But they'll, they'll sometimes stand like that. And people might think I'm crazy or some people might have noticed it. Um, but like they'll sometimes stand like that. And, you know, obviously not with the mic, but like it's sometimes just standing, you know. And it, to me, I've always considered it like 
a person who's proud, a stance of a person who's proud because they've been through some stuff and they came out of some stuff, you know, like that's the way I've always seen it. And I could be wrong, like misreading body language or something, you know, but this is the way that I've always seen it. So when I saw that stance, you know, in my head, I was like the old perp stance. I'm familiar with that. And there was a quick moment where I kind of remembered an ex that had gone through that and would stand like that sometimes when he was talking and I always thought it was cute, you know, and so it was like that kind of thing, you know, when I first saw the picture. And so then I was talking to this boy that I met in Reno and I'm really feeling this boy, you know, I mean, like, I don't know him well and, and it could be going nowhere like some other things that I've been in lately, you know, when it comes to the romance department. But I'm staying very open on that front because like I've told you guys before, I feel like God is sending me my person soon and while I'm not trying to turn everybody into that person, I will stay open and see if I'm, you know, supposed to be paying attention or if like somebody deserves my attention. And lately, you know, as I've been sifting through these guys that I've been hanging out with at different points, it's kind of like a like, you know, yeah, yeah, close, but not quite close, but not quite like this and this and this, but not quite, you know, and it's been like that kind of situation. And I felt good about, you know, the way that that's been going, because it's almost like, you know, if you're told that you're looking for somebody, if you're looking for somebody and you ask a few people, hey, are you that person? Uh, and then a couple of times you're wrong and it's not that person. Are you trying to make everybody that person or do you just know that you're supposed to be looking out for a person and you're kind of like, OK, if this kind of fits the description or has some of the characteristics, then maybe that's that person. So. I'm really feeling this guy. He appears to be really, really feeling me right now, you know, and I'm not trying to jinx it or make it sound like anything either way. But I know that I'm very interested. And from what he tells me, he's very interested as well. And so I've been thinking about him a lot, you know, more than I should for a person that I just met less than a week ago now, less than seven days. I think maybe today is going to be day. no. It's day six that I know him. But, you know, so like when I got home, because this morning I drove home from Reno. And so Cameron's situation must have happened, you know, while I was driving home from Reno at like two in the morning or whatever, when I was like two hours into the drive, which I was so busy thinking about this guy that the drive that should have took like six hours ended up taking like seven and a half because I drove too far and missed an exit. And I think I missed two exits technically. And I was listening to this song that reminds me of this guy because he played it for me at a point. And like I said, I like this guy more than I should. And so like he's occupied my mind, you know, so. Um, like later on when I'm driving and I see Cameron's pictures, I don't think anything of it. Like I said, I just keep scrolling. And then I am on the phone with that boy a little while later. So that took up an hour and a half of my time. I had some other errands that I had to run today. So my mind wasn't on that. So then, you know, I'm finishing up with my errands and talking to that boy. And I get a message from Bruce Leonard, my friend, good friend, Bruce Leonard, um, that says, are you going out to any spots tonight? And in my head, I was like, I didn't think so. But at the same time, I'm always down to see what Bruce is up to. You know, I love his girlfriend, Charlie. And, you know, they hang out sometimes and sometimes it's just Bruce. And whatever the combination is, I love Charlie and Bruce. And so 
when Bruce hits me up like that, unless I'm out of town and busy at the same time, I real I would usually just respond to him. So I was like, I hadn't planned on it or something like that. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Or, or I said, what are you doing? And then he said that Charlie was going to be up at Free Zone, which is one of the gay bars in the Fruit Loop that does a open mic slash show or an open mic with a featured comedian every Monday. I think they start at eight o'clock. And I don't have the best relationship with the guys that run it. You know, I've been honest about that before. And I'll say their names like Adam Dominguez and uh, Ian Rainier. And I don't say their names in any throw them under the bus way. But in this part of the story, names actually do matter. Um, and so my thing with that situation was, in my head, I was like, well, I don't want to go look like I'm causing problems or anything like that. So I'll probably just skip it on that. You know, that was my thinking. And so I went ahead and like when I say, you know, I had problems with Adam and Ian, while I would not choose to like hang out with them actively or regularly, I don't hold hard feelings towards them. So it wasn't like when he said that I was like, Ugh, or, you know, like nothing like that. It was just like, yeah, that's probably not the best place for me right now or where I'm going to be the most welcomed. That's what I thought about it. And then, you know, I'm off the phone with the boy and everything like that. And I'm looking at Facebook and I'm like, why am I seeing so much of Cameron right now on my feed? And so I actually, I see Anthony Victorson has shared it, which Anthony Victorson is my friend friend. And so when I see him, like he's shared a picture of Cameron, then I like really tuned in. And then Anthony had said something, I can't remember the exact caption, but he had said something where you knew that Cameron had passed away. And I was thinking, what could have possibly gone wrong with Cameron, you know? And so I said something or I scrolled the thread and then, you know, Anthony also was like, you know, shared some information. I can't remember the way that part went because, you know, like everything was happening in a kind of surreal way because, you know, Cameron was really excited because just not too long ago he was going to buy tickets to I believe it was Adam Ray to go see comedian Adam Ray at Wise Guys. And then Wise Guys hit him up to do, see if he could do security. And he was talking about what a score that was and how nice Adam was and you know, like, so I remembered that and it, like, it felt weird to me because it felt like I can't believe this particular person has died because I, you know, he was so active in the scene. Like he showed up to Carlos, uh, Carlos's show at the L.A. Comedy Club the same night I did and the same way I did like to just show support. He wasn't on the show. He was just being supportive. And that's something he would do regularly was show up places to support. Like, that's how I got to see him more and got to understand that he was newer and didn't, like like I said, I dismissed the part where I had gotten annoyed and realized that was me being bitchy me and not remembering when I first started out. And so, like, you know, I had gained respect for him in that way, you know, and also from the conversations that we had. So all the way around, I like this guy and, you know, he's now he's gone. And so that made me feel a particular way. And then I was like, I wonder if Bruce knows that. And that's why he invited me to Free Zone because Bruce has to know that, you know, me and Ian have had our run-ins or whatever. And he knows that Ian is part of who runs the Free Zone. And so, you know, in my head, and I didn't want to ask that, you know, if that's what Bruce was doing. Because, you know, that's straight guys and guys in general sometimes are raised not to really show emotion. So I didn't know if it was going to be like the type of thing where maybe he just wanted a friend around to like, you know, vent to or to just be there. But he didn't want to say it in a needy way. So that's why he asked me if I was going to go. This is my thinking, right? And I didn't confirm that or anything. 
And then I knew Anthony was obviously feeling something because he posted about it. And Anthony's not one to do it for the gram either. If Anthony likes somebody, he'll say something. If not, it's that's life. That's life. Oh, just playing. Uh, but, you know, it really is. And that's a lot of the way I see it. So, like, th I think that's part of why me and Anthony are friends, because neither of us are going to be fake about that kind of shit. Like, people die. That happens. Um, they can't all be a tragedy. Well, to their families. But to all of us, not so much. But anyway, so um, what happened was I felt like Anthony must be feeling something. And so I hit him up and I was like, are you going out? And then he said, is there even anything tonight? Like that kind of thing. And I was like, free zone. And he was like, um, he was like, but you don't go there, right? And then I was like, at that point, I had decided, well, you know, at that point, I hadn't decided yet. What happened was he sent that. And then it took me a second because I hit up AJ, um, who's, you know, my friend and runs Ocha Bar. Uh, the, he runs that mic for me and really is in charge of Ocha. Like, I'm not even, especially the last couple of weeks, like, he's had to handle that shit. Even though we're only three weeks in, he's had to try to handle two of the weeks. So that's more AJ's room than mine. You know, I facilitate it and I will continue to show up and give any help that I can help. And, you know, work with AJ as much as I can. But AJ is really doing the heavy lifting in that situation. Just 100%. So, um, you know, but we're also just friends like AJ is a person that I've developed a fast friendship with and I feel is a very genuine person. And so there's that, too. So I hit up AJ because I had seen that he had posted also like, you know, thanks for being so supportive, doggy or something like that, you know, which is the way AJ talks and maybe a couple other words of text as well. But where I felt like AJ was feeling something, too. So I hit up AJ to see, you know, because like I said, I hadn't realized why I was feeling anything because I really hadn't thought about it like that. You know, I just was like it was just the feeling of like, yeah, this guy's gone, you know. But like I said, I hadn't thought as far as like why I was affected the way that I was, why I felt so bummed, you know, because I shared a picture and let people know that I was bummed. And in my head, I was like, why are you so bummed? You really don't know Cameron like that. But I knew I was. And I knew that I wanted to be around other comics like I knew that. And so now I hit up AJ and then AJ sends me a message back saying that he was hosting at Free Zone. And so in my head, I'm like, Bruce has asked me if I'm going to be at Free Zone. Anthony has suggested that he's going to go might go to Free Zone or he'd be open to going Free Zone. That's the way I read his text message. And AJ is hosting Free Zone. And so for me, that's a perfect storm of the kind of friends that I need to be around when something like that happens. Those are some of my true comic friends on this particular scene and just in, you know, comedy life in general. So at that point, I felt like, well, f not in a bad way. Don't take this that way because that's not the way I mean it. But I felt like, fuck anybody I don't like. I'm going to go down there and just go be with the people that I need to be with, you know, and I also felt like that anybody should understand that. And I'm not going to go in there with any kind of attitude or that I wouldn't try to make any problems or whatever. It really was about, you could say mourning, paying your respects, a combination of the two. It was just like, uh, you know, for me and also for uh, showing support for my friends too, because obviously they knew him better than I did. And you know, I barely know him and I'm feeling something and they know him a lot better and they're feeling things. And so I was like, you know, yeah, I want to get down there. And, you know, because 
um, Bruce had let me know, like I said, that Charlie was going to be headlining, featuring at uh, Free Zone. Like, that's why he said he was going there. You know, that's why specifically they were going there. But like I said, there was a part of me that felt like, well, why did he invite me there? Knowing that I don't get along with Ian. You're like, yeah, I love Charlie, but I wouldn't show up because it would look bad or look like I was, even though I wouldn't be, you know, I would genuinely go to show support Charlie if it was any other room. But, you know, I was, so I was conflicted, you know, earlier and, but now I felt like, yeah, I should, I should go down there. Like, it's just unanimous that I should go down there. And even if Bruce doesn't know or whatever, like I, I feel like I should be there. That's where I should be. So I hit Anthony back and was like, I'm on my way there now. And I threw on a shirt and just headed, you know, over to free zone. But like I said, it wasn't like a like a hateful like fuck anybody or like, you know, it just was a whatever feelings be damned. Do you know what I mean? Like we're going through something as a community right now and I want to go and no hard feelings to anybody. Let's just be a community. Um, that's a part of my thinking. So I get there and I see AJ and, you know, we say a quick hello or whatever like that. And I saw a couple other comics when I first walked in and like, I'm not really thinking anything. And at that point, the fact that Ian, you know, ran the mic or helped run the mic wasn't at all paramount to me or on my mind. Like when I walked in, I saw Chaz Raz, uh, Chaz Razlowski outside at first. And so I was already, you know, like, um, you know, like felt like I was around friends because there's Chaz talking to Bruce and he was talking about a car accident that he had and that kind of thing. And so then somebody brought up something about the Cameron situation just briefly. And so like my mind is now completely in just like, you know, just that mode, you know, and kind of the this is going to sound cheesy, but kind of the life is fragile mode. So that's where I was mentally. And so then I walk in and I'm talking to Charlie or I don't remember who I was talking to at that moment. I know I said hi to Charlie, whoever I was talking to. Then all of a sudden I see Ian come walking out. And like I say, as far as I go, bygones are bygones. And for anybody that wants to know anything about that story, the last interaction I had with Ian was me telling him through text message that even though I had said some things about him on my podcast because you know, he had talked about me that really I should have gone to him first instead of going straight to my podcast. And I was saying for that, I apologize. And I do say that in the actual text message where I'm like, you know, for that part, I do apologize because I should have gone to you first. And I, and I, that's the part that I do apologize for. And that's the part that I would handle differently. And that's the part that I felt a particular way about, you know? And so, but then when I see Ian right away, his smile, because, you know, he's walking around smiling or whatever, his smile, as soon as he sees me, turns into a scowl. Like, and I'm not t saying like a Liz Stone scowl where you say somebody's scowling at you and they're not. This was an actual scowl, like I wasn't supposed to be there. And there was a part of me that felt like this isn't about that and that you really should just be like, we should all just be neutral at this point because we've gone through something as a, we lost somebody. Somebody actually died. It's not just, you know, showing up for drama or for looks or whatever. Like I said, if I didn't feel any particular way, I would have just stayed home and just been like, you guys get through that. But obviously I felt something. So I showed up, 
You know, I had the other weeks to show up if I was showing up for drama or showing up just to be stupid or something like that. You know, like for me, this was where I needed to be. And so to have somebody that you've already apologized to for what was your part, not be welcoming of that, even if you're just like, you know, let me just pretend like Ty doesn't exist. Like I said, neutral. You don't have to come over and pretend to be my best friend or talk to me or anything like that. But a scowl when you know what we're all going through, you should know. And it made me feel like the things that I had originally said about him, even though they weren't said in malice, they were said out of frustration for the actual situation that was happening, but definitely not in malice or just to start anything. I really did think to myself, like, you're really the type of person that doesn't think I should be able to mourn with the other comics. Like, you think that I've done anything that bad? Because... I don't really think a lot of people have done anything that bad where when actual tragedy strikes the community and you don't know different people's relationships with different people, I don't think anybody should be keeping anybody out at that point. It's just like, yeah, if you don't talk to people or you're like, well, this death isn't going to make me forgive everything and everybody. I get that if you're not that type of person. But just to be neutral and be like, okay, well, you just happen to be here, you know? At least that, I think. And I would feel the same way with people at Ocha. And even now, when no, or even before, when nobody had died, I felt that way with Ocha. Like, I was told the other night by one of my friends that Adam Dominguez was hanging out at Ocha. Well, Ocha is my room, and I've already discussed that me and Adam Dominguez have had our things before. But I didn't feel any particular way about him being at Ocha. Like, Ocha's a comedy spot. If Adam wants to show up and do a set, even when I'm there, that's not something I would get in the way of or at all, like why is he here? You know, like, and I'm saying even under just the best of circumstances, I wouldn't be catty about that, you know? And especially if it was like a time like now where something had happened, I'd definitely just be like, yeah, that's not something I'm going to give anybody any pushback on. Like, you know, maybe Adam's having a weak moment right now himself or, you know, and I wouldn't doubt if Adam does have feelings about Cameron dying because Adam probably hung out at more of the same spots as Cameron than I got to because Adam's, you know, on the scene a lot here lately, more than me in a lot of cases. So for me, you know, I'm, I wouldn't feel anything about that and I could understand everybody going through whatever they're going through. But Ian was clearly unwilling to forgive and he's left that to be like that the whole night. And so did his girlfriend, Juliana. And like I said, for me, it's incredibly petty because I know the full story that happened between me and Ian and what it is I've said about him and what it is I've done. And really, I haven't said or done anything that's unforgivable. I haven't said anything or done anything that should make it so I'm dehumanized to a point where I'm not even, and I'm not trying to turn this into a pity party for me, but I'm just going to let you guys know where it is I'm coming from on this. Like, I, you don't get to take away the fact that I'm a human being and I have feelings because you're mad because I said something about you that was 100% true. Because if you remember to the time that I talked about Ian, I was kind of not just, I didn't dedicate an episode to it and I didn't go into it a lot, but I said that he was a bad leader and he considers himself to be a leader. And really, this tonight confirmed that for me. Because... 
the way that me and Ian first got into it, just to let you guys know what it is that makes me such a terrible person that I shouldn't be able to be anywhere he's at or mourn and like, you know, was that originally he was bad mouthing me to people when I thought we had a decent relationship. You know, before that, we hadn't had any problems except for once when I first got here, when I first questioned his authority, which I think is really what originally set him off and made him at least non-verbally not like me at that time, even though he would act cool with me when he would see me. But I think that was because at that time I was pretty popular on the scene and everybody knows me and knows that I've done some stuff. And so, you know, it wasn't like an opportune moment for him to be open about the fact that he really didn't like me. But I think what started him down the road of not liking me was when I called him out and I did it in private, not even publicly. Um, so it's not like anybody could say, well, you know, but what happened was there was a point when a comedian by the name of Coda Hawk, who's now I think 17, he was 14 at the time. I had just gotten to Las Vegas and Coda, you know, I ended up meeting him at a show he was cool. His family's really cool. His family's really supportive. And so there was a point where Coda had hired Diaz Mackey, who you guys saw in the episode that was accused of the, you know, sexual assault at that time against Shauna Christmas. And at that time, you know, he was wrapping that up. And so anyway, long story short, Coda was having um, Diaz on a show and a lot of the comedians were giving Coda a hard time about it, which I didn't know any of this was happening because this was way back when I first moved here and when I was in my relationship with my ex. And I really was just minding my own business that time. So I wasn't really paying attention to social media like that, especially like the Las Vegas comedy group. I just wasn't. And so Coda hits me up direct message on Instagram and is like, some of the other comedians are bullying me right now and I don't know how to handle that. That's the gist of what Coda sent me. And me knowing him, he was a 14-year-old kid, I was like, you know, all right, that shouldn't be happening no matter what the circumstances are, you know, a bunch of 30-somethings because that's, for the most part, what's on the comedy board. And there's some 20-somethings, I guess, but it's for the most part... 30, 40 somethings, you know, on this comedy group. And I'm like a bunch of adults, let's put it that way. A bunch of adults shouldn't be bullying a 14 year old. I don't care what the circumstances are. And so um, I asked him, you know, how it was going down and stuff like that. And he told me and he told me that Ian was basically the one going the hardest about it. And so I reached out to Ian just because I worried for Coda in the way like I know how young kids are and like things can turn them suicidal if they feel like everybody's against them. And for some people, especially like Coda, who was at the time 14, so not able to get in and do stand up at a lot of the clubs and stuff like that. He was not only trying to create his own opportunities, but he was also at the same time using the comedy board is like a lifeline so he could know what was going on in the comedy shows and which shows he'd be uh eligible for and you know like to keep in touch with the com apparently coda really liked comedy you know even then and now he's done it even more and he's making some strides and stuff but this was back when he was 14 so just starting out and so I reached out to Ian privately because I was like, OK, this really isn't my business. And I, you know, but I do want to help this kid out. I do feel like that's the right thing to do. And I feel like adult to adult, you know, Ian has kids. So I feel like maybe you get heated in the moment and you're like, you know, this kid's being an asshole or whatever. But I still think, you know, if I can 
talk to you adult to adult and maybe talk to the father in you and be like, hey, because that's the way I approached him. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. You guys don't agree. Coda has on, uh, Diaz on his show or it's going to have Diaz on his show. And I but I was like, wait, please keep in mind that this is still a 14 year old kid and he could be more fragile, more sensitive, that kind of thing. And at first, Ian seemed kind of open to it, but he didn't seem open to taking the pressure off Coda. He was just like, I see what you're saying, but, you know, kind of like I still feel it's important for me to keep this pressure on, which he didn't say verbatim but like that was the general tone and where we kind of hit like a standoff you know and I did get very annoyed with him and I let him know that I didn't respect that you know that especially him being a father and I didn't say that in any kind of like trying to be an insulting way but it was like in a way to remind him like you're a father how would you feel if a man your age was treating your kid like this you know or making your kid feel like the whole world was closing in on him like, I don't think you'd appreciate that as a father. And I thought I was appealing to him or would appeal to him on that level, you know, because like I said, sometimes on the Internet, you get carried away and you forget kids are kids and you forget old people are old people and you you don't think of people as humans. And I, But so he basically got mad at me. No, not basically. He got mad at me. And I remember at the time I was good friends with Garrett Hall and I was also uh, good friends with Bobby and Crystal at that time. And I talked to them about it, you know, separately. Uh, well, yeah, I talked to Bobby and Crystal when they were together. And then I talked to uh, Garrett Hall about it separately when we were on the road. And like the consensus from all of them, and they said this in different ways, was just that Ian has a way that he thinks that the Las Vegas comedy scene is supposed to run. And these are this is what these people told me. I'm not just I don't have a reason to make anything up. I'm trying to tell you guys a story the way it went so you guys can understand where it is I'm coming from. So that's what they told me. And I don't feel like I'm throwing them under the bus. It is what it is. So, um, you know, they said Ian has a way that he thinks the Las Vegas comedy scene is supposed to go and he really doesn't like people running against that. And at that point, I got like, OK, that makes sense as to why he was so non-receptive to what I was I was saying. So it made me lose some respect for him, but I was still... You know, like eventually I think I apologized to him then, too. I think I sent him a message just saying, hey, I'm sorry if I came off the wrong way. I just was trying to whatever, whatever. And then I made a compromise where I told him because he was insistent that somebody talk to Coda's parents to make sure that they know that he's booking Diaz. And the show ended up ultimately getting canceled anyway because it was happening at like a macaroni grill. And I don't mean like just that as a generic name. I believe it was the macaroni grill it was happening at. And uh, they got enough complaints from people calling comedians calling and saying they didn't want Diaz on the show that they went ahead and canceled the show. And so um, but I remember telling Ian before that step happened that somebody got the show canceled that I would personally tell Coda that I need to talk to his parents to make sure that they know exactly what he's getting involved with and who he's getting involved with. And I told him that I would handle that. And if not, then I would tell Coda that he couldn't use me in that capacity anymore. Because if I don't know if his parents stand behind this, who am I to jump in? And that's something that I really thought after my conversation with Ian. Because like I said, even then, like I'm always trying to learn from, you know, what it is that's happening and maybe why people are reacting the way they are. And maybe why I shouldn't just go stick my nose in people's business or maybe I could be wrong sometimes, you know, I, like I said, I didn't feel at the base of it when my thing is just don't bully a 14 year old. I didn't feel like that part was wrong, but I could, 
I have to be open, you know, if I want people to be open to me. And so uh, I let Coda know that he wasn't comfortable with it. You know, he didn't want me to talk to his parents. And so I told him, all right, well, then, you know, for this one, I asked them to leave you alone and I hope they leave you alone. But I have to be out of it because I can't say that I'm doing this with your parent support or with them having full knowledge of what it is that's going on. And you are 14 years old. So that part I could understand when Ian said that because he said that part, you know, to me as a father, he was like, I also wouldn't want my kid like, you know, having that person on a show, blah, blah, like that kind of thing. And so, you know, I was out of it at that point. And as far as I was concerned, there's no hard feelings about that at all, you know, like because it just wrapped up the way it wrapped up. But now looking back, I think that's where Ian started to not like me because I had threatened his authority and, or questioned his authority, not threatened. Well, I guess threatened in his eyes. But to me, I was just questioning it in the way like, you know, should should is that is that the way you should be using your power? Like, you know, you're an influential person on the Las Vegas comedy scene. But again, like I was new and I didn't want to pursue anything with anybody because I wasn't living that kind of life. You know, I wasn't trying to dedicate my life to it. I just thought I was helping out the kid. So um, that happens. And the reason that I say that I feel like he held on to that, because then when the tricks thing happened, you know, when tricks tried to steal part of my bit. And then when me and Ralph were doing the Thunderbird show, Ian was telling Ralph to watch his back, you know, and like uh, putting you know, stuff in Ralph's brain. And I ended up finding that out from Ralph. And again, I'm not trying to throw under anybody under the bus, but I will be saying certain names. And if people want to come on unbothered and talk about it, or if they want to call me, I'm open to that or whatever. But like, I'm not lying about anybody and I'm not trying to start any shit. I hope Ian sees and other people see why it is I feel the way I feel and why it is certain people say things about me that they shouldn't necessarily say. And when I mean certain people like Ian, especially in this situation, specifically in this situation. So um, I, at first, when I get told that Ian's talking about me and some of my friends and stuff like that and saying that we're people to stay away from and people that people shouldn't trust and stuff. At first, I'm just like, OK, well, that's not really a thing. I don't really care too much about that. You know, I didn't let it get under my skin and it was kind of like a figures type of situation. But then what happened was I was going on the road and I can't remember if I was going to uh, Wichita, Kansas or where I was going, but I was going somewhere at that point and I had put up a post asking if anybody could watch Bijou, you know, my puppy B. And so Ralph had responded on the thread that he would watch my dog, but I didn't think that was going to be an ideal situation because Ralph has a couple of pit, pit bulls and Bijou is a, you know, little chihuahua and I know she can be bitchy sometimes and I hadn't had a chance to go to, over to Ralph's house, you know, and I know he's got great dogs. I know that and I don't think that they would attack Bijou, but just when you think about your little chihuahua and then you think about her living with two pit bulls while you haven't seen her interact with these pit bulls, like for me, it seemed like a risky proposition. So in my head it wasn't a real option but I appreciated Ralph offering and I definitely wasn't judging his puppy parenting skills that wasn't that kind of thing I just dogs are dogs you know and so um but anyway so Ralph later on tells me that Ian had been shaming him about you know the fact that he was going to watch my dog or had offered to watch my dog and telling him that like what are you Tyra Vera's bitch and stuff like that and in my head when Ralph told me that I was like well why would somebody be like that you know like I don't deserve to have 
reliable or, you know, friendly puppy care. Like nobody should watch my dog because Ian doesn't like me for some reason. And in my head, I also was like, and what reason is it that Ian doesn't like me? Because really, I hadn't done anything to him. Well, it turns out, you know, that my starting problems with tricks and some of the other people that he doesn't like, even though I had valid things to talk about, like joke thievery, which is one of the biggest sins in comedy, which I said that I would have handled different now looking back on it or if it happened again, not necessarily looking back on it because I think that it was important that things went down the way they did. But I didn't understand how that was Ian's problem, how Ian becomes, you know, somehow a person that's against me because of that. And I had heard Ian had, like I said, been saying some other stuff about me. And so I called that out and, you know, on a podcast and just mentioned that, you know, I thought he was a bad leader because to me that is bad leadership. You know, stay out of what it is working comics are getting into it over. Like, I understand you run some open mics and I see how you're important to the ecosystem in Las Vegas stand up. Like, I wouldn't try to get in Ian's way because I do feel like he offers important stage time and he does, you know, pay comics and he always pays people what he said he's going to pay them. He's paid me before to do stand up at his spots. And or like to give you a little bit more backstory, at one point, Tim Dillon was looking for a place to perform during the pandemic, you know, when it was kind of like just starting to open. And Tim was like, I'll basically perform for nothing. I just want to do a couple nights in Vegas. Give me an excuse to go to Vegas. I'll pay for my own support, you know, like feature whatever. Like, And so I went to two people with it. I went to Ian and I went to Tom Bomb. Now, if I had hard feelings towards Ian or didn't like him, would I offer him like this opportunity to get Tim Dillon to work for him for next to nothing or come out and work in one of his rooms for next to nothing. Like that's not something I would do, you know? So like that was one of the last interactions I had had with Ian in that way. So as far as I knew, we should be not only cool, we should be super cool. But then I hear that he was saying negative things about me because of the trick situation, you know, cause obviously I was taking Vegas stand up in a way that he didn't want it to go or I he didn't think I had a right to talk or to be upset or whatever the thing was you know I don't know what his thinking was on that part in particular I still don't know that and so I just know he started talking about me and so when I called that out publicly um or said that publicly and I don't think I used his name in the original or I know I used his picture so you know I mean like it's it was what it was. It was me being like, okay, I see you. I hear you. Like, that's what I was being clear about. You know, like, don't, like I say, don't try to be sneaky about what you're doing because I will call it out. And this is me doing that on this episode. But at the same time, it's because I'm tired of my name being dragged through the mud because people don't want to accept that. Yeah, you could say that I'm wrong for certain parts and I'll own that. And if you want to have a conversation about it and tell me how you feel like I wronged you, then that will give me a better understanding of you moving forward. And yeah, maybe we can talk it out and agree to disagree or maybe in the end we can agree. But what happened was Ian instead decided that uh you know he was going to talk about me and so I called it out and then he jumps on the thread and is like you know well where are you hearing this stuff nobody's ever told you that I've never said anything about you I've never said anything about your friends you know Jack Slammy and those people and I was just like well uh 
I didn't want to ma- mention names because I didn't want to throw in anybody under the bus. But like now, like I said, I don't care. And the names are three very reliable people. One is Ralph. Ralph is the one that told me about the dog situation and Ian originally saying bad things about me. And like I said, I didn't pay attention to the first part. It was a dog situation that got under my skin. He said to the point where he got uncomfortable and had to stand up like to really stand up literally to Ian and be like, yeah, fuck you. I'm not a bitch because I'm watching somebody's dog or I offer to watch somebody's dog. I want I love dogs. That's what Ralph told me later on. He's like, I just love dogs. I would watch anybody's dog. I mean, I I don't you know, that's the way Ralph was talking to me. And, I, you know, we were laughing because we were friends at the time. And I was just and we're friends again now. And I'll talk. Well, there's nothing to talk about with Ralph. I said if he ever wants to come on Unbothered, I'd love to have him so we can talk about that in front of you guys and let you guys, you know, see the way it all went down. But anyway, at the time, me and Ralph were, you know, buddies and we were hanging out regularly. And so it was Ralph Tutela who told me and then it was Joe Pedoto who everybody knows is a good person and doesn't lie about people and I wouldn't lie about Joe Pedoto. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. But like Joe Pedoto said, not only did Ian talk about me that that night, it was like Ian was like two or three different spots talking about me. It just ended at Champagne's, Um, you know, because that's where Ralph got tired of him calling him a bitch or that conversation happened because Ralph had offered to watch my dog and Ian was making fun of it because he had seen it on the thread. And so Joe Pedoto is the other person and Ryan Barasa is the other person. And all three of those people literally told me that they really had to stop themselves from commenting because they didn't want to start any problems with Ian. But at the same time, they had all been witnesses. And there are other people that were also there like that's But if you want three names, it shouldn't take more than three. Right. That's three reliable names as far as comedy goes those people aren't liars those people aren't like trying to make problems or whatever but you know those are the three names so I just didn't want to say it at the time because I didn't want to take anybody else down and I knew what was happening at that time and I didn't want people to suffer repercussions but like I said I'm not gonna cover for anybody and if people decide not to tell me things moving forward then don't tell me things moving forward but you know, I personally don't really know what I would care about or anybody should be telling me moving forward because moving forward, I know not to trust a lot of these people. And I don't say that in some like shitty cynical way, but I just see what's happened, you know, when like even if you're doing the right thing um, and people know that or you're not doing something wrong, people will still take the side that's more popular or they consider to be more locally popular or will get them more benefits, you know, and so I um, that's really the extent of what I did to Ian. There was also a time where Joe Pedoto got assaulted or battered by one of his co-producers, one of Ian's co-producers at a place called the Taco Dive Bar. And I reached out to Ian person to person and told him I didn't appreciate that shit because he should have been on top of that. Like because, you know, his thing when I said that he was a bad leader because we had text, you know, back and forth a little bit about that. But he refused to ever get on the phone with me when I said he was a bad leader. He was like, I'm not trying to lead anybody. I'm just worried about my own shows. Okay, well, then why are you telling people not to work with me? Or why are you saying things about me when I don't do your shows? And it's not like I'm in any way affecting your shows. And my trick situation had nothing to do with his shows. And I never had any drama with tricks at any of his shows. So if you're not trying to be a leader, then why are you telling people not to work with me? That sounds like giving orders, which is what a leader does. And... If you're just worried about your rooms, like I said, since none of any of my drama was connected in any way to your rooms or nor did it happen in any of your rooms, 
why is it that has become your mission? Me talking about me and what it is my friends are doing or, you know, chanclas or any of that stuff. How is that a thing? And yeah, you can deny it, but I just gave you three names of reliable people that were telling me. And I don't feel like they're lying to me even to this day. I don't feel like any one of them lied to me. And we haven't talked about it in forever because it's not, you know, all this stuff I tuck away because I really don't care about it. You know, like it's not like I stayed mad at Ian all this time. Yeah, I didn't respect him because like I was saying with Joe Podoto, Joe Podoto is just a sweet boy, you know, and he really is just anybody that's met him will tell you he's just nice. He's just a sweet spirit. He's a, a, just a boy, you know, and yeah, he's a full grown man. But, you know, he's just very boyish and dancing and, you know, like worked on cruise ships and it does the tours, you know, for the Grand Canyon and people love him. Like he's, you know, he's just a lovable little guy. Sorry, Joe, if this sounds emasculating, it's not meant to. It's just like really this is the way I would describe you to anybody ask anybody um so like it really did bother me that Ian hadn't been more firm with his co-producer because if you're producing a show like if me and AJ are at Ocha and I see Ocha or I see excuse me and I see AJ assault somebody or batter somebody push somebody anything like that I'd be like hey one, that's Joe Pedoto. I don't know why anybody would push Joe Pedoto. And two, no matter who it is, this is a professional environment. And it became that the minute they gave us money to do any kind of event here. So you as my co-producer especially should not be putting your hands on anybody. That's the way I felt about it. And I let Ian know that. And that at that time, I was in Wichita when that happened because I remember when I was messaging back and forth with Ian. And I did tell him that I thought he was a bitch for that because, you know, he just wouldn't have a conversation about it or acknowledge that, yes, at that point, you are in charge as a co-producer of that show. You are in charge of making sure that nobody's getting assaulted, not only because Joe Pedoto doesn't deserve to get assaulted, but because that would be bad for the bar. You know, if some if Joe Pedoto had called the police on Taco at Taco Dive Bar and said he had been, you know, assaulted or battered there, that could turn into Taco Dive Bar losing money. You know, like that's the reality of it. And also a way that I think about things. You know, I always think about the money side of things because this is Las Vegas. And in theory, stand up comedy, those two things together, we all should be trying to make money and doing what's the most professional. You know, that's why I don't start trouble a lot of times when I could start trouble, because really I could have given Ian a hard time about Taco Dive Bar and I let him know that through text message and I could give him a hard time at Free Zone too because somebody he's associated with has said some very inflammatory things that could be very detrimental to a business like Free Zone who not too long ago had a cancellation attempt during the Black Lives Matter protest uh, and marches when one of the owners who's no longer, you know, been taken, he's been taken out of his position or maybe he was a manager or something like that. Um, but I have the video, I just won't play it, but where he said some very not politically correct things and they were really trying to cancel the free zone and it was a like a thing online, you know, like it was kind of a big thing online. So I know that they're very sensitive to that kind of thing, but I don't choose to do that because 
I'm not a hater and I don't see why me and Ian should have a problem. Even though, like I said, I know he was talking about me. I know he said that nobody should watch my dog. So I've gone out of my way not to make any problems for Ian. Because like I said, I do think what he does for the Las Vegas comedy community overall is good if in no other way than giving people stage time, which is the most necessary. But at the same time, when he starts trying to talk to them about me and about things to do with actual comedy, that's where I feel Ian is kind of like a mom trying to raise boys. You know, like, yeah, you can do it to a certain degree. Nothing against the mom, single moms. If you have no choice, I get it. But like if you have a husband, which like, you know, let's say in the Las Vegas comedy scene, kind of the way I would say it is, Ian is sort of like a mom or a stepmom and I'm more like a dad type, you know, because I've actually been there. I do stand up and no matter how much Ian and this isn't an insult, it's just the truth because Ian will get on the other microphone at some of his different shows and he'll talk. Well, that's not you doing stand up. That's not you knowing what it's like to be a stand up like kind of you're a heckler that's a producer and you don't even get treated like a regular heckler where people are going to just shut you down because people know you produce the show and you pay different people for different spots. So it's kind of like you just interrupting people's sets and then acting like, I know what it's like to be a stand-up comedian. I hang out with stand-up comedians. Nothing other than being a stand-up comedian will make you understand what it's like to be a stand-up comedian. When you just have to stand there, just you on stage, that's something different. Even regular public speaking doesn't compare. You know, it's its own thing, and I respect it. Public speaking in itself is, I mean, like, I can't do just regular speech. You know, I have to make it funny or else I get uncomfortable. So it's its own skill, and I respect that. But that's not even what you're doing either. You're literally just doing. And his talent is producing shows and getting people to let him run his shows and give him a budget and stuff. And like I said, it's its own skill and I respect it. I wouldn't go in trying to tell him what it's like to be a producer, just like I don't think he should be telling me or any other comedian how to be a comic. And so like that's what I meant when I said the stuff about him being just a bad leader and not understanding kind of what his role is in everything and you know, so you're not even doing your actual part, which is the producing and making sure things are run in a professional way. So when I see him and then, okay, so I said that publicly and then some of it was through text and I always, I tried to call him several times when we were texting back and forth. He never answered my phone call. He said like, you know, on the messages, text messages, his responses and stuff, he was like, I have my kids right now and I just don't want to be screaming on the phone. And on the text message, I also asked him, I was like, well, what would you be screaming about? Like, we can't just have a conversation. We can't just straighten it out. We can't just, you know, communicate. Like, it's got to turn into screaming. And there's even a point where he's, like, going on in his messages where he says something to me where I'm like, that doesn't even make sense that you would talk to me like that. And it was, wasn't disrespectful talk as much as it was like, you know, and he acknowledged he was something like, you know, okay, I admit on that one I did sound like, you know, an abused housewife or something. Like, we have a relationship we don't have. And he acknowledged that. And I saw that as like a good thing like some people might see that as a show weakness or something to me that was the strongest thing he said because he actually acknowledged that his emotions weren't matching what was happening at that moment and so you know we get closer to or you know we get to because I just saw the message today July 31st was when I sent him the message just saying hey you know I'm sorry I didn't go to you first and so like that was me extending the olive branch so my point is when I saw him tonight 
it, there really should have been at least a zero read. Like I said, like nothing. No, like, why do you still have hard feelings about me? And more recently, I have heard from different people. And again, I'm not going to name names this time. But, you know, stop talking to so many people and saying these things to so many people if you don't want it to get back to me. But I'm just letting people know that I know. And then people hear this just like the last time people hear it. And they're like, yeah, we know he's saying stuff like that. So when it just makes him look worse when he acts like he's not saying this. And that's really what makes him so mad at me is I will say these things publicly. And then whether he wants to admit it or not, the people he said them to when he lies and said he didn't say them, you've got a bunch of people that are like in their heads at least. And like I said, they don't want to upset him because he does run some stuff, but they're in their heads at least like this guy isn't being on the up and up about that at all because I've heard him say that, you know, but he still talks bad about me and he tells people not to go to Ocha and he makes it seem like they're sides, you know, like you can either be on my side or his side. He's told people still to watch their back around me. And it's like, watch my, watch your back around me. What? Like I haven't done anybody wrong. Like in the trick situation, what was I supposed to just let him take my joke when it came to Gooch? Was I supposed to just let him assault me when it came to the situation at the artisan? Was I supposed to just let him threaten me with a hate crime? Like what is it I've done that makes me not only such a terrible person, but a person that doesn't even deserve to be able to mourn the death of a comic with other comic friends. Why would you try to get in the way of that? And then his girlfriend, Juliana, she also gave me the bitter look when she walked in and we had always been cool. And I had heard that she had said some things about me here and there. And for me, that makes no sense either because the last time I talked to her was nothing but good. Like we didn't have any kind of problem. You know, me and Juliana always got along. We would smoke weed together, her weed, but we would smoke weed together. So I didn't understand why she was kind of shading me. And then later on, when I walked to go to the bathroom, she gave me a look like, you know, like you've got a lot of nerve being here. And I felt like, bitch, you've got a lot of nerve being here. I'm at a fucking open mic with comics in a gay bar that I not only have a long history with that gay bar, with Free Zone specifically, because I've known the owner or the original owner of Frizo. Now it's been sold. I think her son's somehow involved. I can't remember the exact way it got sold. But I know one of their longest, most important employees. That's like my actual friend friend. Like I could get him on the phone right now. You know, you think if I wanted to get Ian's show canceled or I wanted to make any kind of problems to them, I don't have a direct line. That particular friend paid for my first chin and my first nose. Well, you know, the first one my parents gave me. And I never should have messed with any of this. We'll talk about plastic surgery later. But no lie. Like, that's how well I know this guy. So you think if I wanted to make problems, I couldn't go directly to him and be like, hey, get a message to whoever the most important person is at that bar and the person that... that this needs to not happen because I don't want to do that. I want to leave everything alone. And I also want to be left alone and not have my name dragged through the mud by somebody that I go out of my way not to make any problems for. That's what I want. I want to be able to just show up and mourn and be treated like a human being or at least ignored like anybody else, like any other patron. Like it shouldn't turn into a thing. Like what is it that I've done that's so unforgivable? Even to you, Ian, what is it that I've done? But the truth is what I've done is I questioned his authority and I've been very open about the fact that not only am I not concerned with burning bridges, I don't consider Ian Rainier to be a bridge. And that's really the way I feel about it. The stuff I've been doing, none of the people that book me for any of the stuff I've been doing care about Ian Rainier's opinion. And I'm actually getting paid to do stand-up. I was at the two laugh factories just the last two weeks consecutively. 
killed it at all of them. I, like, really, you know, like, no. There's a Friday show that was just mm, Friday late show in Reno. And I'll tell that story. I'm going to tell the story of how I bombed. Bombed for me. You know, like it wasn't bombing, bombing. But, you know, close enough. <sighs> like I said, I'm very honest about these things, especially when it comes to stand-up. But anyway, so it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm cursed in the industry and nobody will deal with me. I've been working a lot. Like I said, sometimes I'm working right now more than I want to be working. So... I don't know what his trip is or how him or Juliana especially would think that they're in any way going to control my movement. Like if that had become any kind of thing tonight, oh, it would have become an actual thing tonight. But that's not what I went there for. I went there to get a little bit of strength and to be supportive of my friends. Because even though I'm not supposed to be human anymore the las vegas comedy scene has stripped me of that right sorry about that ran out of memory so what i was saying is even though like certain people have decided that i don't get to be human anymore you don't get to in any in any way make me uncomfortable or you shouldn't try to make me uncomfortable because at the end of the day we both had at least a little bit of fault in what happened and I have offered to talk it out with you. So if you want to stay mad for the rest of your life, Ian Rainier, because you think that I've disrespected you by not doing things the way that I'm supposed to do them, at least I've put this down and I've made it so that everybody else can understand why it is that I don't really take you seriously when it comes to these kinds of things. Because I don't think you're level-headed enough to really look at your own behaviors and see that, yeah, maybe I should have just stayed out of it and not been talking about Ty and not shamed Ralph for being willing to watch Ty's dog and not gone on a mini tour telling people that they shouldn't work with Ty or any of his friends and not been telling people that they should watch their backs because of Ty and not make it seem like there should be uh, two different teams or you can be team tire you can be team team Ian because really the way I feel on all of that is every comic should be team themselves every comic should be trying to get as much stage time as they possibly can that's why anybody can ask any one of my friends I do not tell any of my friends not to do Ian Rainier shows because Ian Rainier has then he has Noreen's for a while. He had Taco Dive Bar. At a point, he had the Sand Dollar. Then he also has uh, Free Zone currently. Uh, he, you know, helps out or used to help out with the Griffin. Like, I need these comics to get as much stage time as possible so that they can do what it is we're supposed to do as a comedy community when it comes to actual comedy. Because the comedy shouldn't be any part of any of this. You know, like that part, yeah, I had a problem with tricks. And I called that out because it was comedy related. Like I said, I would handle that different. The Gooch situation, I don't really know. Well, I know what I could have done differently. Somebody told me in the Gooch situation that I never should have gone to him asking for advice anyway. And I was like, I wasn't going to him for advice. I was going to him to tell him to either tell his friend to get it together or I was going to be very public about everything. That's what I went to Gooch for, so that hopefully he could head this off and it didn't have to get public. But that person then told me, and this is where I have to accept that, yeah, maybe I wasn't, was wrong in that way. That person told me, well, you reaching out to pro him probably felt like you were asking for advice. So even though you didn't like the advice that he gave and you didn't like that he gave you a consequence and said he was going to run you out of town or made it sound like he was going to run you out of town, 
you still should have never gone to him in the first place, which like now I do realize that that person was right in that. Like a, a person could think that I was asking them for advice, even though that was not in any way what I was doing. But, you know, is like if you look at all those things and please anybody correct me if you're telling me that I've done something else to Ian, because really that's the real extent. And I can provide text messages saying everything that I said, showing everything that I said, showing everything that he said. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of like back and forth, you know, because he would deal with me through text, but he would never talk to me person to person. He just wouldn't do it. And I think that's because he would have to admit, even if not to me, at least to himself, that in certain ways, he is being childish and petty, and he does consider himself to be a leader of the Las Vegas comedy scene. He just wants to run it from behind the scenes and kind of be silently leading. But it's just not, you're not giving good advice to stand-up comedians because stand-up comedians should be at my open mic. They should be at your open mic. They should be at Conan's open mic. They should be at Backstop. They should be at every place they could possibly be so that we can build things. Who cares who you like? Who cares who I don't? Who I like? Like I said, anybody can come to Ocha with the exception of Delilah. And just because the owner doesn't want her because she made all those problems. But me personally, like for me, like anybody can go to Ocha and do a set. Like I said, if we don't get along or whatever, you deal strictly with AJ. That's part of why AJ is there because everybody likes him and he can make it so everybody feels comfortable, even when I don't. And if there's ever somebody that doesn't get along with AJ that gets along with me, then just come straight to me and bypass AJ. You know, I'm not thinking AJ gets along with everybody, even though I think he does. But if he didn't ever, then come to me because I really feel like everybody should be welcome to get stage time. That's what it's there for. I'm not here to break the scene up further. You know, like I've already admitted to what it is I've done and why it is I've done it when it comes to the way that I've broken up the scene so far or set certain fires or whatever. And I don't regret that part because I think it's really helped things grow. Just like sometimes you have to burn down a bunch of fucking dead wood so that new shit can grow. It's that same kind of thinking. That's the way I see what I've done. And it's been very effective. If you notice, a lot of people are getting opportunities that weren't getting opportunities before. And I've been in a lot of people's ears saying a lot of good things. I'm doing the opposite of what Ian does because I don't concentrate on the people that I don't like. I won't tell you not to hang out with Ian. I won't tell you not to hang out with Tricks. I won't tell you not to hang out with these people. You know, there's only one person that I'll tell you not to work with, and that's the person that threatened the hate crime, and that's only because that person is bad for business and does bad business. So that's all I'm worried about is, like, money and, like, what's making things actually move and happen and it's going to push us forward and i do think like i said i'm very clear about that i think ian is helping push the scene forward but just sometimes in his wanting to have some kind of control over the scene which nobody should be controlling stand up him wanting to have some kind of control over the scene he instead impedes a process that he could be very beneficial to and is still, in spite of himself, very beneficial to. So I think I've been clear and I think I've been balanced and I think that everybody should understand not only why I think Cameron's presence was important for as long as his presence was in my life and to the limited capacity that it was, but also why I have a right to, warn, to mourn him and also why Juliana and Ian should have been both big enough people to just be like, I'm not worried about that right now. Like, let's not make that the focus right now. The focus isn't us right now. The focus isn't pettiness right now. The focus is somebody has died 
and some of the comics need support, me included. So tonight, when I saw Brad Goldby, which I've, you know, mentioned Brad Goldby on the show before, and not in the most positive way, um, and I'm not going to go into that or explain it, because when I saw Brad Goldby tonight, we, you know, buried the hatchet, we gave each other a handshake, we gave each other a hug, and if that doesn't continue to be an everyday thing or every time I see him thing, then that's just what it is. But as far as I go, me and Brad Goldby are back to a place of we're friends, we're friendly. You know, I talk to him, I talk to his girl, Sarah, and I don't say that in a way like they're not on my side. We didn't have any kind of conversation like that. We truly, I really respect Brad, even if he said some things about me that weren't the most favorable uh, I'm not going to at all like let that be a part of my thought process when it comes to Brad Goldby anymore because tonight when we saw each other, all of us that were there, it was me, Brad Goldby, uh, his girlfriend, Sarah. Uh, sorry, Sarah, I'm not trying to minimize you by making you Brad's girlfriend. You're uh, your own person, and you know I really do like you, Sarah. I do like Sarah. Sarah Edna is her name, and I like her. I think she's funny, and we had a good conversation tonight. But um, so I'm not trying to minimize her, but they're, they're just a couple, you know, um, and then uh, Bruce Leonard. And it was because I wanted Bruce Leonard to record something for me. That's why I went there. But also I did want to see Bruce, you know, because I felt like at that point it was about that. You know, like if it wasn't earlier when he invited me to Free Zone, I felt like him still being out was partly because of that. And I felt like that's part of why Brad was probably out, too. And so when we saw each other. Me and Brad had a good exchange and like we talked for a while and it was a good conversation, but it wasn't at all about like, you know, join my side, be against this person or like, you know, and we didn't discuss like our, you know, our run in, if you want to call it that or the shit we talked about each other or whatever, because to me, all that's gone. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, let's all move ahead. Let's all not only move ahead in like our mindsets, but let's work together to move ahead as a scene. Like, you know, like I said, Conan uh, is my friend. He started an open mic on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Our open mic is at 10 p.m. When he started that, he hit me up to let me know that he was starting it. And he was like, mine is going to end at, you know, 10 or whatever, or 930. I don't remember if it ends at 930 or 10. Check the poster. I post it because he hit me up. He told me about it. And in my head, I'm like, yes, that's a win-win. We had no Thursday spot. And now we have a Thursday spot. And now people, and it's not too far from where we're at. So now not only can people go to his spot on Thursday, you know, at 8 o'clock, or if they can't be out that late, then they can go to his spot only. Or if they can't be out that early, they can come to my spot only. Or go to both spots. Like, there's no reason for us to compete. There's nothing like we're trying. We have the same goal growing, getting better, not only the scene, but ourselves. Conan wants to get better. I want to get better. Anybody that's worth the fuck should want to get better. That should be the most important thing on this scene as far as everything else goes. And if the death of Cameron Ramirez doesn't drive that home for you or you don't see the death of another comic as at least being some another comic that's actively out there or was actively out there as like maybe a reminder for all of us that life is fragile and maybe some of these things don't matter as much as they feel like they matter, then maybe your head and your heart aren't in the right place and that doesn't have anything to do with me. And from this point, I'm not going to address Ian again and I'm not going to talk about Ian again. I hope that he will stop talking about me, but if he chooses not to, at least this is there to correct everybody. So stay unbothered. This has been Ty Rivera, the absolute best LGBTQ comedian in the world.